Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, as always, joined by the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. Weston, you shaved. What happened to your face? You looked a little different on yesterday's Packers Daily video. Yeah, well, first off, uh, Mahad, so excited <laughs> that I've shaved again. Um, here, here's the thing, Mike. I wish I could grow a glorious beard. I can't. Uh, I wasn't gifted with that ability like so many of our colleagues here at Packers.com. But the, the thing was, as I was explaining to you and some of our other stuff, when you have to wear a, a mask for two and a half hours, like we did for the last 12 practices, and you have a nose like I have, it is really difficult to keep that thing on your face. <laughs> the, the facial hair allowed me to do that. And then the benefit was, I think you and I only did like two of these uh, during that whole duration. So people didn't have to see the beard that often. I was kind of protected from it, but I got the extra security, the extra hold that I was looking for uh, to be able to get through those practices with a mask on my face. All right. Well, since we last spoke in this setting, the, uh, uh, the Packers actually skipped a day of practice to discuss some so social justice issues. That was certainly a big topic around the league and around the sports world last week. But then as the Packers resumed getting back to practice Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday was a big day. It was uh, uh, a close to full contact practice inside Lambeau Field. The first units, offense and defense, uh, ran about 50 plays against one another. It was the most 11 on 11 in a single practice that the Packers have had. They had the ambient crowd noise there in Lambeau Field, trying to simulate a game situation as much as possible. And in a training camp with no preseason games, Wes, Sunday afternoon at Lambeau Field was, uh, was the closest thing to a dress rehearsal that the Packers are going to have before the upcoming week one matchup in Minnesota. Yeah, and it really was. It felt like a game day. I mean, even you and I walking into the building, the security staff was, <laughs> was handling it like it was going to be a game day just to give everybody those repetitions. Before we all get used to something that's going to be very different this year with these regular season games, the coaches, as you pointed out, some of them were in the press box. Matt LaFleur had his headset down on the field. I believe he had the play sheet out. They did everything unscripted, no pun intended, uh, just because they wanted to make sure that they at least get these guys used to it. There's going to be rookies that are going to be involved in this offense and defense. There's going to be young players that are going to be getting used to new roles. They need to be able to have some semblance of normalcy before going into U.S. Bank Stadium for that opener against the Minnesota Vikings. I think that practice accomplished that. The one thing that really hit home with me, Mike, I, I don't know if you really thought about this too often, but just how different this training camp looked. And it's not just the three practices inside Lambeau Field. There were no half-line drills like you and I have always become, uh, you know, grown accustomed to over the years. Uh, they were very deliberate in their seven-on-seven -seven routes on air periods. They dedicated more time to 11-on-11, and that was never more evident than that practice at Lambeau Field. The move-the-ball periods, I believe both Tim Boyle and also Jordan Love getting three series apiece in addition to all the work that Aaron Rodgers did. They thudded. They didn't go to the ground like a traditional scrimmage, but being able to actually – go through the process, understand what it's like, have the full uniform on. I think there was a lot of benefits to that. And then obviously the most, the biggest thing, the fact that there's no fans there and there's going to be no fans there for the first month of the season. You have to be able to not only get yourself, you know, prepared and energized, but also get used to that ambient noise that the NFL is piping in, which to my ear taste was very extreme. <laughs> Yeah, it was when I know 
later in the practice, they toned it down a little bit, but when it first started, it was kind of like, holy cow, like, how can you hear anything out there? I mean, it was, it was noisy. It was definitely loud. I thought it was gonna be the longest two hours of my life, Mike. I'm not <laughs> lying. That first team period. And it was funny, Matt LaFleur even mentioned it. Like it was the same decibel level as what they had it set to in the previous practice. But for whatever reason, it was much louder. And uh, fortunately, they did tone it down a little bit and I was able to hear myself breathe. Yeah, well, Matt LaFleur did say after Sunday's practice that this week the Packers are transitioning. Even though roster cuts, uh, roster reduction is not until Saturday, there's still one week here. But they're transitioning into more of a regular season mode in terms of what practice is going to be like. There's still going to be some competitive 11-on-11, but there's also going to be in the practices coming up here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, some scout team work, what they call going off of cards, where you have one side of the ball that is mimicking something that uh, the opponent, in this case, the Minnesota Vikings, the Packers will start preparing for them. So practice will take on a little bit different feel training camp in the traditional sense of it in terms of a lot of that competition for roster spots and and all of that is for all intents and purposes over here and there are a couple guys I think that are worth talking about here Wes because when you look at the training camp as a whole look some of these mainstays for the Packers Aaron Rodgers Aaron Jones Devontae Adams Christian Kirksey Jair Alexander Adrian Amos all guys and there are several I left out I thought they all did what they needed to do in this training camp. They look like they're ready to go. They look like the frontline players that they are, despite not having an off season, despite not having any preseason games. But there are a couple of guys, and we've talked about this throughout the course of, uh, of the summer leading up to this, which guys for the Packers are going to need to take their games to another level here in 2020 to really help out and to contribute in the way that that the Packers are hoping they are. And I think there's one guy on each side of the ball who had a very, very strong and impressive training camp. And I'm talking about Marquez Valdez-Scantling on offense and Rashawn Gary on defense. In terms of guys that, boy, if they take what they did in training camp onto the game field starting week one in Minnesota, the Packers are going to be better for it on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and I, I know you and I have discussed at great length over the last two weeks. You know, we do the three things video after all these practices. And legitimately, Mike, for half of them, you could have done MVS and Rashawn Gary. Yeah. Uh, they just stood out every single day, and they made plays. And it wasn't just the fact that, okay, well, here's another deep ball to MVS from Rodgers. Oh, it would have been a 60-yard touchdown. No. He did that the first day with that pass from Tim Boyle, but for the most part, a lot of it was running and doing your routes precisely to where the sticks are. Uh, that, that practice inside Lambeau Field, how many situations, Mike? I would count at least three in either third or fourth downs. MVS had to run a route to get the first down, and he did that. And he was able to break off his route the way he needed to and be where Aaron Rodgers expected him to be. He also made some really spectacular catches, too. I think about that one that he hauled in off of his hip. You weren't there for it. It was the one when we were in the Don Hudson center due to weather, but the ball was slightly behind him and he reached his hand back, his left hand back, trapped the ball against his hip and was able with his four, three, seven speed to stay within his stride to turn up field. This is what this young man offers to this offense when he's going and he's right. I thought Jason Brabel last week when he spoke to us made a really interesting salient point about MVS and his development. He doesn't question that MVS wasn't that he, lacked any confidence. He felt like he was still confident in the receiver that he was. 
but it was having the confidence in the scheme and being able to match up his natural abilities with what was being asked of him now with Matt LaFleur in this offense, they feel like he's made a major stride there. As far as Rashawn Gary is concerned, Mike, I don't want to get hyperbolic about it. I don't like doing off-season MVPs because honestly, 2015, when Mike McCarthy said that Devontae Adams was an off-season MVP, he really was. It just didn't translate. He didn't, he got hurt. It didn't work out. And then everybody held that against him. So I don't like putting those labels out there on guys. But for a 22-year-old player that was the 12th overall pick a year ago, I thought if you're the Green Bay Packers, you saw every single advancement in Rashawn Gary's game that you wanted to see in this camp. Now, we need to see it in games. We need him to be a difference maker. He needs to be a guy that can step up and take some of those reps off of Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. But in terms of just what was being asked of him in these practices, the one-on-one periods uh, against the offensive linemen, the way he was able to rush and disrupt plays and team periods when he got reps with, you know, what would be the starting offense. He did it all, Mike, in this camp. And as I wrote an insider inbox, I want to see it translate now to games, not for any personal reasons, but so this whole process makes sense to me. Because (laughs) we saw guys make significant strides in practice. Now can we see in two weeks' time and then beyond that, that actually translates to yeah, I think it's been really interesting to watch the evolution of these two players in particular this summer. You said it with MVS that he showed in this training camp that he's not just the one-dimensional deep threat speed guy to take the top off of the defense. He was used in on possession routes in those move the chains type of situations, and he came through for Aaron Rodgers. That's rounding out a young player's game. And I think in the same respect with Rashawn Gary, His background as a defensive lineman, essentially a down lineman at Michigan, you knew Rashawn Gary could stop the run. And wherever he lines up defensively, he seems to be a pretty good run defender. The question is, can he consistently get after the quarterback when the whistle blows in in that aspect of the game? And I think we saw saw a lot more activity in terms of him getting into the backfield and getting after quarterbacks in this training camp. Again, an evolution of a young player. And as you said, Wes – the, the games are where it's going to matter. I mean, these guys have to prove it in the games when it counts because once, you know, the ball is kicked off in Minnesota in week one, whatever happened in training camp almost doesn't even matter anymore. I mean, it's, it's, it's about what happens when it really matters. And um, both of these guys have set themselves up for, uh, for promising and productive 2020 seasons. Now they have to come through. Well, and that was the thing, too, regarding Gary, why I was so impressed with him last year, even though there were a lot of people on the outside questioning, you know, why did they pick him? Is this guy going to be a bust? Whatever. Well, one, he's 21 years old. Two, he's really strong. If Mm -hmm. you've noticed that in these games and in these practices uh, over the last year and a half, there's just a lot of natural God-given ability in that young man's body. And I think you saw this offseason, him really take it to another level. He's not afraid to work to get it. And he definitely did that. But the last thing is what you touched on there, and it was his run defense. The guy can set an edge. And that probably has something to do with the fact that he goes at about 277, 275. Uh, That's a little bit bigger than the the traditional outside linebacker that you remember hearing about in Dom Capers' defense when this whole thing got implemented. But Gary fits that. And I really think that when you talk about the pass rush, pressures, those things will come. If you have the ability, you have the technique, and a coach like Mike Smith that's going to be able to get it out of you, but it's, are you willing to actually go the extra mile against the run? Some of those small things, the, thing that, the things that aren't going to get you a massive contract, but ultimately decide whether or not your defense is going to play winning football. And Gary most definitely can do that. 
Yeah. I think another guy that's worth talking about in terms of, you know, this transition from 2019 to 2020, and this is a completely different context, but Lane Taylor on the offensive line for the package, you're coming back from a significant bicep injury that knocked him out of the starting lineup and ended his season in week two, essentially after two games last year. Cause I believe the injury happened in practice. Correct me if I'm wrong, Wes, yep, but we didn't see um, it. Yeah. But for him to come back from that and Hey, you know, he decides to take a pay cut to come back to green Bay to compete for a starting job. There's been, you know, essentially a three-way competition for two starting spots. You have Taylor at guard, you have Rick Wagner at tackle, you have Billy Turner who could play guard or tackle on the right side. I don't know ultimately what the coaches are going to decide. If you ask me for my prediction, my prediction is I think Lane Taylor is going to be lining up as the starting right guard in week one, but it's not my decision to make. That being said, what Taylor has done, regardless of what the final decision is, I think is really impressive because there are a lot of people who wrote this guy off. A lot of fans were not even counting him in the equation uh, for the offensive line for the Packers in 2020. And he, he showed up every day in this training camp, Wes, and, and his steadiness, um, his consistency, his reliability, it showed up on a daily basis. And I think it's something the Packers are, are potentially going to be counting on here in 2020. Lane Taylor is such a throwback uh, for me, uh, not only in just the way he plays the position, but just his mentality. Uh, nowadays, if a guy gets hurt or he loses a starting job, the first thing he usually wants to do is, is look for a new opportunity to, to get out of a contract, to, to move on. Uh, Lane Taylor wanted to be back here. And I asked him that in one of his recent conference calls. And he said, you know, it was kind of the roots that his family had laid down in Green Bay. The fact this is the only place he's ever been. The fact that this is the team that took a chance on him when nobody else wanted to draft him back in 2013. All those things kind of came to the surface for him, and he realized that this is where his best opportunity was going to be to continue his NFL career. And I think one way or another, what this training camp has proven is that Lane Taylor is still a starting guard in this league. Um, you know, these next year, everything that follows, we'll find it out. But he wants to play football for a long time, and I think he's going to be able to do that. The guy is just – you talk about his one-on-one -on -one drills this year – he was going against Kenny Clark pretty much every day uh, during those padded drills, and he was holding his own. Uh, it didn't matter if it was Kenny. It didn't matter if it was Dean Lowry. Uh, he just does his job, and he's so strong. He's so good in terms of being able to, to be a really impenetrable and movable uh, force down in, on the line that it was good to see him be able to come back. As he said, that bicep was pretty much zero uh, when he got done with practice that day. He had to have surgery on it, and he spent a lot of time thinking, a lot of time you know, with his family, and now being able to continue his NFL career, I, I keep saying it over and over again, but the fact is he's the fourth longest tenured player on this team now. It's incredible when you think about it that way, but he's not afraid to still be doing that grunt work and those drills that are typically reserved for the young guys on this roster. Lane Taylor is still very much a part of this. And when you talk about the beauty of training camp, uh, even if it was different this year, even if it was modified, the, the story that, that Taylor told throughout the last three weeks I think really speaks to him both as a person and as a football player in that he's not afraid uh, to, to get back out there and earn what he's already earned. Yeah. And when you think about it too, this is really the first time you could argue in three years that Lane Taylor probably feels fully healthy because you go back. Okay. So 2019, he had the, the bicep injury. You go back to 2018, he, he dealt with a, a significant off season 
ankle injury yeah. that that you know slowing him down and and he he's not a guy to make excuses you, you know in the days back when we were talking to these guys at their lockers as opposed to over you know through a computer screen he's not a guy who's ever going to make any any excuses uh, you know his his whole approach is hey if i'm healthy enough to play i'm going to play and i've i've got to play to a certain standard but he would be the first to admit afterwards there were games that he wasn't really playing up to a standard because he wasn't fully healthy but he was doing what he had to do to help the team we could be seeing here in 2020 lane taylor finally you know fully healthy and and back into that mold and that form that he was back in 2016 and 2017 when uh, when he first took over the starting job and, and was the kind of guy that you didn't really talk about a whole lot on the offensive line because he was just so steady and reliable. Well, even think about the beginning half of last year, Mike. So he does win the left guard job. He maintains that he starts the first two games, but they were still rotating in Elton Jenkins. Uh, for a couple series here every now and then. And as we found out throughout the course of the season, Elton Jenkins is the real deal. That wasn't just, okay, we're trying to find the best fit. No, I mean, you had two guys that could both play, that could both go. And Lane was a total professional about that, didn't raise a stink, just did what was asked of him. When he's in there, he's in there. When he's not, he's not. And again, that, that's just something I think is becoming increasing, increasingly rare when you talk about a guy that has started three, four seasons in the league now and being able to have that humility to, to not make a big fuss about it, just to do what's asked of him. I, that, that says a lot. And the fact that he's worked his way back from this injury to put himself in this conversation again, I think is another testament to the, the player he is and the, the man that he really has developed into over the last seven years. Yeah, no question about it. Well, Roster decisions are going to be made on Saturday. The Packers will have to trim the roster to 53 players by 3 o'clock Central Time Saturday afternoon. Then on Sunday, you start re-signing guys to the practice squad, players that clear waivers and whatnot. And I know on our next show later this week, we can get into some, some more of those details because it is going to be different this year than it has been in, uh, in other years. But, uh, um, but that will be a topic for the next show. And it was something I want to point out too, because you addressed it earlier, but I wanted to I wanted to address and answer your very good and eloquent question about the players that stood out. But you made a really interesting point about how this week they shifted to an in-season schedule. That actually really is interesting because the practice squad has expanded this year. Mm-hmm. There's now 16 players that are going to be eligible to be on the practice squad once the Packers set their 53. That means there's going to be 59 players in practice uh, this season. 69. Packers, 69. 69. Did I say 69? You said 59. I thought he said 69. Oh, maybe we'll I misheard play, you. We'll play back that film. All right. okay. But either way, Mike, there's 80 guys on the roster right now, some of whom aren't playing, aren't participating because of the PUP list. Yes, they need to cut the roster on Saturday, but Matt LaFleur and his coaches, they also have to be able to go through this process and figure out, okay, how are we going to make all these pieces fit in a practice? Uh, that's why I think this is really beneficial for them this week to be able to shift to an in-season schedule and, and kind of get used to those new moving parts on the scout team. Matt Arvin, our wonderful producer, also <laughs> correcting me. I did say 59. I apologize. That's okay. Well, we will get all the numbers and all of that straightened out on our next show later this week. But for now, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and this final week of training camp on Packers.com. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time.